Hi, welcome to Harrison's Pod Class, where we discuss important concepts in internal medicine. I'm Kathy Handy. And I'm Charlie Weiner, and we're coming to you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Today's case is an 86-year-old man with depression. Hey, Kathy. So today's case is an 86-year-old man who comes to see you for a routine visit. He says that overall, he does not feel like he's doing well, and this has been going on for about the past six months. He feels like he's depressed, he's having difficulty sleeping, and he's barely eating. He says he really just doesn't have much of an appetite. He thinks it's because his testosterone is low, and he's coming in specifically because he wants to know what he can do about it. He also wants to know if it's worth taking testosterone supplements. A number of large studies have established that testosterone concentrations decrease with advancing age, so he is right that his testosterone levels now are likely lower than they were 50 or so years ago. And so what's the mechanism? Is that what's called andropause? Yes, that is what it's being called, although the declines are gradual over time. They don't drop precipitously. The decline is due to defects at all levels of the hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis. Pulsatile GnRH secretion is attenuated, LH response to GnRH is reduced, and the testicular response to LH is impaired. However, the gradual rise of LH with aging suggests that testis dysfunction is the main cause of declining androgen levels. So just like everything else in our bodies, as we get older, things don't function as well. The (laughs) testes are just not making as much testosterone, right? Yes, that's what happens. Let's just get to the question then. The question asks, all of the following findings are associated with low testosterone levels in older men, except, so four of these are true and one is false. Option A says decreased muscle mass. Option B says dementia. Option C says increased risk of coronary artery disease. Option D says insulin resistance. And option E says higher visceral fat mass. The answer to the question is B. So dementia is not associated with low testosterone levels. In epidemiologic surveys, low total and bioavailable testosterone concentrations have been associated with decreased appendicular skeletal muscle mass and strength, decreased self-reported physical function, higher visceral fat mass, insulin resistance, and increased risk of coronary artery disease and mortality. An analysis of signs and symptoms in older men in the European Male Aging Study revealed a syndromic association of sexual symptoms with total testosterone levels less than 320 nanograms per deciliter and free testosterone levels less than 64 picograms per milliliter in community-dwelling older men. Low testosterone levels have not been associated with dementia, erectile dysfunction, or major depression. So, for him, this man's symptoms would not be explained by his low testosterone levels, so further evaluation should be warranted. It sounds like he has real symptoms, and that should not be written off by just saying the testosterone is low, right? Yeah, but you would want to talk to him about the potential consequences that he could expect from low testosterone levels, too. Okay, well, we would do that with this gentleman, but today we're fortunate to have Dr. Jameson, as I mentioned, with us. We are thrilled to welcome... Once again, one of the Harrison editors to Harrison's pod class. Today, our guest is Dr. Larry Jamison, who is the Senior Vice President and Executive Dean of the University of Pennsylvania Health System. He's also a renowned physician scientist and a practicing endocrinologist. So thanks for being here again today, Larry. Thanks for being here again, Larry. It's good to be back with you. I can't wait to talk more about today's case. So today's case is about andropause. Can you tell us about hormonal changes associated with aging, starting in men, uh, and how that contrasts to menopause in women? Kathy, I think the best way to tackle this important question is really to go way back in development. 
And remember that reproductive development and hormone onset and action in the reproductive axis is very different in men and women. So in the male fetus, the testis develops and produces testosterone in utero that is converted to dihydrotestosterone. And that's really important for the development of the prostate gland and for the development of the penis in the male. And then in young boys, young infants, you also have testosterone levels that are relatively normal through age one and two. And then mysteriously, the feedback axis shuts off in later childhood, only to come back on at the time of puberty and testosterone levels in the male remain relatively constant until very late in life when they gradually decline. And that's what we refer to as andropause. In contrast, in the female, development is very different. The ovaries have the oocytes, the primordial follicles that produce estrogens, and they go into meiosis, uh, but they really are quiescent until the time of puberty with the onset of the menstrual cycles and the cyclical changes of estrogen and progestin. And that continues until the time of menopause, typically at age 50. And in women, the onset of menopause occurs within two, three, four years as the follicles are depleted. And so the fundamental difference in the male and the female onset later in life is that the germ cells and the surrounding hormone-producing cells are depleted in the female, but the lytic cells continue to produce testosterone until later life in men. Larry, as our audience knows, I am a uh, ardent believer in that the future of medicine lies in understanding human variability. Can you talk to us a little bit about how we're gaining more understanding about the variability in both menopause and andropause in the United States and the world? What's our understanding of that? Why is it so variable? Well, Charlie, some of it is genetic. There have been a variety of studies that have looked at genetic predisposition to premature ovarian failure, for example. There's some clear genetic disorders like Klinefelter syndrome that, of course, can lead to very rapid loss of the lytic cells in the male. And so this suggests you know, something on the X chromosome that's probably involved in lytic cell longevity. So genetic causes are one explanation for the variability, but certainly not all. We're likely subject to a variety of environmental agents, uh, particularly what we refer to as environmental estrogens, for example, that can definitely cause uh, gynecomastia in men. So, you know, some of these are clearly impacting the endocrine system and how those might impact on the axis or cause toxicity to the germ cells is being actively studied now. But fundamentally, we don't have a good explanation for why the normal range of testosterone, for example, goes from approximately 300 to 1,000 to start with. Uh, it really is a mystery, but it's also true for virtually every hormone that we have a very wide normal range, sometimes because these hormones are pulsatile. So LH goes up and down within about an hour and a half or two hours. So that's one explanation for the variability. But testosterone actually is fairly even in the serum. And so there's some population-based variability that most likely reflects receptor sensitivity. That's really interesting. That's great stuff. Thank you so much for being here with us again today, Larry. And there's so many great topics to discuss in endocrinology that we hope you'll uh, be willing to join us in future Harrison pod classes. I can't wait to be back with you again. And if you want to learn more, you can check out the chapter on men's health and the chapter on women's health in Harrison's internal medicine.
This is Jim Shanahan, publisher at McGraw-Hill. Harrison's Podclass is brought to you by McGraw-Hill's Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. Go to accessmedicine.com to learn more.